Good morning. Yep. Good morning, Dwight. Yeah. I'm used to self-talk, right? I, I spend a lot of time by myself, so I talk to myself. So if you don't respond, I'll respond to myself. It's okay. Uh, so glad that you're with us this morning. Um, I'm just coming off vacation. This is the, uh, the first va- like post-vacation thing I've done. So you're still getting uh, vacation Dwight a little bit, um, but excited. So this also is a vacation sermon. Um, so typically we try and line up like all the things that I'm supposed to do uh, before we go away on vacation, but it was one of those things I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to preach when you come back. So, uh, so this sermon really was prepared much differently than most are. So usually I take a lot of Monday and Thursday and work through the text in significant ways and prepare. And uh, this one just got moments all throughout the week of getting to sit with Jesus to uh, hear from him and what he wanted to say and what he had to say to me uh, and then what he wants to say to us uh, together. So that's what we're getting today. So uh, I hope it's going to be really good. I hope that the Spirit of God is going to speak to you. Um, I hope that uh, he's going to change you with his word. And uh, I'm, I'm expectant this morning for him to do that. So let me pray as well. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, that you are uh, Lord of, of all nations. Thank you that you are the God um, of downtown Montreal. Thank you that, that you are not surprised by anything that goes on here. Um, I, I pray that you would work deeply in our hearts this morning. Uh, I ask that uh, you would do work that, that none of us can do. You would do that impossible work of making us uh, love you uh, more, and we need you for that. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, have you ever seen a celebrity up close? If you have, you can put up your hands. Have you ever been really close to a celebrity? Okay, biggest celebrity, throw it out there. Who have you been close to? Who? Okay, hockey player. Who else? Outside of Canada, I don't know that they're celebrities, but in Canada, it's like big. Okay, yeah, you're ruining my story, Jess. Come on. So Jeremy Camp, I won't announce the second person. Uh, anyone else? I heard Nicole Kidman in the first service. That was pretty legit. Cake? Pink. I'm like, who's cake? Pink. I know pink. All right. Okay. That's, that's legit. Mark Wahlberg. Man, Joel's just going to keep him coming if people don't answer. All right. Joel rolls in all the cool circles, apparently. So, uh, Anyway, uh, so Jess and I, a few years ago, we were on South Beach, and we were just going, we had a break in our day from the conference we were at, and we were going, and it's like, there's a main strip, and then there's a little section where all like the really, really ripped people are doing all their their beach sit-ups and push-ups and all that stuff, and then there's the beach. Well, we were walking along, and I don't know, I like to think it was me who recognized this person, but yeah, it was, okay. So I saw Justin Bieber. And I'm like, I think that's Justin Bieber. And he was probably where Aditya is from us. Yes. I'm looking to my wife hardcore because, like, she'll remember this better than me probably. Maybe not. Anyway, I'm like, I think it's Justin Bieber. I'm like, why don't you go stand? Like, don't go near him, but, like, just go the same vicinity and, like, I'll take a, I'll take a picture. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm on the microphone. I remember the way it went, clearly. I tell the stories. Uh, pastors, by the way, can live in hyperbole all they want. <laughs> you can just... Whatever. Anyway, so whatever happened, happened to not be spoken about. But anyway, it was this idea that we were going to catch a picture with Justin Bieber. Well, in like a matter of two seconds, Justin Bieber was there with two very big people as well to protect him. 
in a matter of seconds, there was like a swarm around him. Like it happened very, very fast. And it was like he just kind of like took off, right? He did not necessarily want that swarm around him. I don't know how he's showing up at South Beach thinking that swarm's not going to be there. But I was just thinking like, what do you actually say if you walk up to this guy? Like, um, so I'm not really into your music, but like, so nice to meet you, man. Like, I heard you got some struggles. Uh, how are those going? Like, I don't, I just wouldn't know what to say to the guy because clearly he doesn't want me there, right? He didn't want those people there. He just wanted to get out of there and away. All those people came and wanted him. They wanted something from him and they wanted to get something from him. And then the bodyguards just swoop in and, and take him away. Well, Jesus, and, I, and I'm, I don't think I'm embellishing this at all. I was before, not any longer. That Jesus had like Bieber crowds everywhere he went that flocked to where he was. Anytime he showed up, the crowds would show up in mass. So uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 21, we're going to work through. So you can pull out your Bibles. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Uh, please let me know before you leave today. And we'll give, you, we'll give you a Bible that you can take home. We have English and French. Uh, but anyway, in, in Mark 3, verse 8, at the end of that verse, it says, When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him. So what is it that Jesus was doing? What have we heard that Jesus is doing so far? Just throw it out in the book of Mark. What, what are some things Jesus has been doing so far? Healing people. Great. Something else. Yeah, delivering people from demons, right? And another key thing he was doing was preaching or teaching. Like that's basically what Jesus had been up to, up to this point. And the crowds wanted him. Crowds wanted him. They wanted something from him. But unlike Justin Bieber, who just wanted to run away, I'm not characterizing him as a bad person. I I would probably run away too. Um, But unlike Justin Bieber, who just ran away, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't run away from the crowds. And so I want to look at at what did Jesus do with all of these people? What did he do with all these people? And there's really two points to this. The first point is that Jesus made sure that all people could get to him. Very simple. Jesus made sure that all people could get to him. So let's read Mark 3, verse 7 to 10. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd followed him, or flocked around him, from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. Like, this is making news. Like, news is getting out. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So Jesus made sure that everyone could get to him. So a few things uh, about this. The synagogue. The synagogue was a place where the Jewish people met. Synagogues were in different towns and regions. And you come together just like we're coming together. There was songs, there was teaching, there was meals, uh, all of what we're doing. But the thing is, it was just for Jews, right? Someone wasn't checking on your way in. Are are you a Christian or not? Are you a follower of Jesus or not? How much of a follower of Jesus? It's just like, come on in. Like anyone is is welcomed into into our gathering down here this morning. And so when Jesus was out at the Sea of Galilee, this was really a neutral place. 
This was like, I, I don't know if you've, um, you've seen someone's reaction like viscerally to a church building that they're about to go into. There's a great office episode where Toby is about to go into to this church building. I think it was for a wedding. And he, go, he tries several times to go and he's just like, nope, we're not ready yet, right? Like trying to, to talk to God saying like, we're not in a good place for me to be able to enter into a church building. Not that you have to be right with God to enter into any building. But for Jesus, he did ministry by the sea. It was, it was out, open, public market type of ministry because anyone could come to him. Jesus wasn't just there for Jewish people alone. He was there for the world. He was there so humanity and these places which are like, I don't know, Tyre and Sidon, like these are places that would have had non-Jews as well. And so people are coming in. It's like the world is hearing about Jesus and they want to see him. They want to get close. They want to experience what he is all about and see if maybe he might be right for them. And I think that's just brilliant because inside of the synagogue, he would have been scrutinized and he's already been scrutinized that you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't talk to these people and you have to stay this far away from these people right? Socially distancing was a thing in the synagogue, except no one could get in who wasn't a Jewish person who was right. And so Jesus is saying, in a sense, look, I've come for humanity. I've come for all of you. You're all welcome. And this, this might not be that revolutionary in our day. We want all genders. We want all orientations. We want all uh, people. We want all religions, all cultures. Like, we'll all just welcome into one big thing. But for the Jews, they saw the non-Jews as unclean, like unworthy, unlovable, unaccepted. You need to stay out. If Jesus is actually the Messiah, he would have nothing to do with you because he came for us. And Jesus is saying, I came for you, but I also came for them. You see, the Jewish people looked around and they saw that people were unclean. They had a very real feeling that I keep thinking I'm going to like kick this thing, but maybe not. Um, but they had this very real feeling that these people were unclean, that they were not supposed to be around God or God's people at all. And here's the thing. This is just kind of a side note, but we all have a people that we think are unclean, don't we? It might be a certain race. It might be a people group. It might be a religion. It might be a culture. It might be a sexual orientation. It might be a certain socioeconomic class. It might be a level of education. But we all have those people in our mind that we think are unclean. And you don't really find out that you think they're unclean until it's like, hey, let's invite those people over for dinner tonight. What are the things that pop up for us? Like, no, 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 we couldn't have them over for dinner. If we have them over for dinner, I have to work through all my issues around what I actually think about them. That in a sense, Jesus is inviting us into his ministry, which is for all people. But in another sense, we, we keep certain people away. We have all kinds of reasons and excuses for that. But maybe today is a day where, where Jesus says, I, I want to change your heart. I, I want to change your heart to be more like me. I want for you to be open to anyone who comes along because all of us, regardless of any of those labels that we put over people, all of us need him. All of us need him. And he came for all of us. But on this day, there were diseased people. Diseased people, right? We know about disease. We're all wearing masks or you all are wearing masks. It's like the only time that I'm like, super, super happy, enthusiastic about be preaching because it's like, oh, I don't wear a mask. It's amazing. Um, but we know something about disease. 
We've been living through disease and a contagious disease. Diseases is always, have always been contagious, by the way, <laughs> right? It's not something new. And these diseased people were coming around Jesus, pushing for, for, for place to, to get to him. And, and you would too, wouldn't you? If you had heard that Jesus just healed this person and that he is in town, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to get to him. It doesn't matter who gets in your way. Like, you need to get to him. And crowd or mob mentality is not pretty, is it? Because you're just looking for the thing that you want to get to, and you're going to get there regardless of what happens to anyone else. And Jesus sensed this, like, oh, there's going to be a stomping that happens today. I'm going to get crushed. And so he, he innovates in that moment, right? He says, hey, get me a boat. Let me push out a little bit from the shore. And I don't think it's just to keep Jesus from getting crushed. I think it's so that Jesus could actually minister to people and care for people the way that people should be cared to and cared for. That Jesus did not come to be a fast food healer. Jesus did not come so that people could just run by and touch his, touch his uh, tunic or cloak while he was taking a nap and be healed. Jesus came so that he could have personal interactions, right? Face to face, take off the mask, right? ministry to one another. And so what the boat does in getting pushed out is that people are running for him, willing to stomp, willing, just trying to get, and all of a sudden they hit water. And then they have to say, hmm, can I swim? Um, what's this going to cost me to get from here to, to Jesus? And I don't think that Jesus slowed down his ministry or stopped his ministry at all. It just put something in the way for people to actually slow down so that he could look them in the eye, hear their story, hear what was going on, and he could heal them then. And we're so in a rush often. We just want to do things in mass. But yet Jesus, when he had a mass around him, figured out a way to still do ministry in a very personal way to hear our stories and to care for the individual. And I just think that's brilliant. That Jesus' innovations were all around, how can I get to know people better? How can I care for people where they're at individually, not just care for the group all at once. Jesus didn't retreat to an island either to say, oh, this is too big for me. I got to get out of here, like get a boat. Let's go to the, the little island. You know, there are fruity drinks there. We'll sit by the pool and we'll wait for the crowd to leave and then we'll come back. No, Jesus, Jesus does a boat ministry, not island ministry. Although island ministry does sound pretty great. Boat ministry also sounds great, by the way, uh, depending which boat you're on. But as Christians, we... If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably know this, that Christians can tend to create islands. Um, I don't know what you're into, but I enjoy running. And so um, it's easy for Christians to find other Christians who like to run. And it's like, oh, let's just all run together. It's like, yeah, but there's like all these running clubs all over the city that you could just join. You don't have to start your own Christian thing. Just be followers of Jesus in the midst of that thing. It's like, yeah, but like if we do that, what if they ask a question? It's like, well, answer it. But, but what, if, what, if they, what if they are this type of person, this person? It's like, well, you have to deal with that inside of you, right? We don't like to deal with our, with our baggage. We don't like to deal with the fact of why we don't want to do that thing with other people. But by participating in things in the city, we're forced to, aren't we? We're forced to walk by certain posters on St. Catherine Street and have awkward conversations with our kids before we want to have to. We're forced to see certain um, things going on in life that we have to explain um, to our, our families and to those around us, and, and it's difficult to explain sometimes. 
But rather than retreating, I know we live on an island, we do island ministry, but rather than retreating to a secluded island, Jesus intentionally left us here. It's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident that your contract is here or that you're... Uh, that you grew up here or that you moved here or that you're going to school here. That, that's no accident. Don't just be thinking, oh, I can't wait till I get out of here. Embrace the reality that God, before he ever created anything, knew that he was going to bring you here at this time for this purpose. And he's not going to waste a second with you. No second of your life is wasted in the plan of God. And he, as he leaves us in the world, he changes us as he, as he gives us a ministry to be like ambassadors, right? To speak on behalf of someone else. That's what an ambassador is, to represent someone. We who have been changed by Jesus are like ambassadors who have little boats that we stand in and, and we call anyone who want to come to Jesus and then we like boat our little dinghy to other people that we see, oh, they need someone they, they need to know about Jesus too, right? That we don't create these little silos or these islands, but rather we're looking for who can we go to? It's a radical shift because Jesus didn't want to hole up in a bunker, right? He came out of heaven, lived a perfect life on our behalf so that all humanity could know who he is. Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone could get to him. And he wanted to make sure that people heard of, of who he was from people who were actually enjoying him themselves. So did you notice in verse 11 and 12, he, he refuses to let the demons speak. Now we believe that, that Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus created all things. You might not be there and that's okay. I'm glad that you're with us today. But we believe that Jesus made everything. And Jesus even made these spirits that became unclean. And they knew full well who Jesus was. And Jesus says, no, you don't enjoy me. You rejected me. You wanted a life away from me. You're not going to declare who I am. So Jesus always silenced them. He says, it's going to be these imperfect people, which we'll get to in just a second. They're going to be the ones that declare and enjoy my excellence and go to the nations and tell of who I am. So the first point was simple, right? Jesus made sure that all people could get to him. The second point is that Jesus made sure people could always get to him. And that's not just always like whenever they wanted in this time, but for all time. Jesus wanted to make sure that people could get to him forever. Listen to verse 13 to 19. Uh, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, and that is sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I think it's, it's interesting, right? Just interesting thing to throw. But none of these uh, apostles, other than the first three and the last one, are mentioned again in the book of Mark. So they don't get mentioned so that you get caught up in who these people are and how their lives are. Like, it's interesting to think about and speculate, but that's, they're not the main point of this, right? The main point is Jesus and what Jesus was going to do with them. And so instead of Jesus um, creating a new temple 
a new synagogue, a new church building, a new place like the Vatican where everyone could swarm to and see Jesus. Jesus instead calls men, imperfect men, uneducated men, men who are basically nobodies in their society. He calls them to himself and says, I'm going to use you to preach, to tell of who I am, to um, cast out demons. And it's not mentioned here, but it's assumed because this is a summary statement and to, to heal people. And so Jesus calls these, these, these men, these nobodies to himself to do this because he wanted to make sure that people could always get to him. He wasn't going to be the limitation, right? Jesus allowed himself to take the form of a man. He had limits as a human. And he wanted to make sure that his message, even during his time, continued to move forward through other people. But this whole thing starts with being them, this group, being with him, being with him. You see, Jesus's ministry is a ministry of abiding. Jesus's life, what he calls you into, is to abide with him. Now, abiding is not like, come hang out, like tent on my front yard, like, you know, hang out in the guest room once in a while. Abiding means move in. And the illustration that Jesus used of the, about the type of relationship he wants to have with his people is he says, you know, you know about a vine, right? We don't have, well, I guess we have vines in Montreal, but, you know, vines. And he says, you know those branches that hang off there? He says, that's the type of life I want to have with you. That I'm the vine, I am the source of life. You are the branches, right? Abide in me like that because without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you are no one. Without me, you have no relationship that's going to outlast this life. And you have no value, meaning, and purpose that can, that can go beyond your grave. But with me, eternal life is, is forever, and it begins, begins now. That Jesus wants that type of proximity with us. No other relationship can stand the test of time, can it? When Jesus speaks about eternal life, our minds often go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like after I die. But no, no, no. it starts now that you have this full robust life now in this moment with him one where you get to be with him and that he actually wants to be with you right sometimes we have to be with people but jesus doesn't look at us in that way and for some of you you really need to hear this jesus doesn't say when you wake up in the morning oh, i have to be with her today Ugh, that's right i made a promise that i would never leave him all right i won't Jesus enjoys being with you. Jesus enjoys being with you in a real relationship. A real relationship consists of time, doesn't it? Imagine for me as a husband with my wife, Jess, and I said, yeah, I'm a good husband. And you're like, well, how do you know that you're a good husband? It's like, well, we do a date night, you know, once every six full moons because it's COVID and there's nowhere to go. Um, we, we get away for like a weekend every once in a while and we talk every day, right? I'm a, I'm a good husband. But those are all just things that, that I do, right? If those things that I'm doing aren't leading to this like one flesh deep relationship with my wife, then those things are useless. They're just things to make me feel better about myself, that I'm doing a good job, but it's not actually producing anything. And this is the same thing that, that we can do with, with Jesus, that we can read the Bible, which is so good. 
right? God speaks to us through his word, which is why we, we preach the word. These aren't my words. These are his words. We preach this because this will bring life. My, my words will not bring life to you, but his words will. His words will. That's why we pray because we say, oh, I'm so needy and dependent. I don't have the resources that, that, that the city needs or that my neighbor needs or that my family needs. I need you. And I, and I want to be with you. And Jesus, I find you more beautiful than anything else in this world. And I find your joy as so much more attractive than anything else in this world. And I just want you. You can take everything else away, Jesus. I just want you. Right? That's, that's the place that he wants to bring us through. Reading the Bible and praying and fasting and giving and being with the church. These are all means to enjoy him. We don't get him so that then we can do that list. That list sounds pretty boring in and of itself. But these, that list actually leads to being with him and experiencing his joy and his beauty. Uh, we went away on vacation for, uh, for a week. Sadie, my eight-year-old, beautiful little artist, um, she, uh, she just creates art all the time, my goodness. All we needed in this Airbnb was a stack of paper that they had and markers. And like she was just, she didn't care about the lake. She was just like happy to, to do this thing. But she loves beauty. Absolutely loves beauty. And so Sadie and I, we went out in the little paddle boat. You know the paddle boats where you sit in and you think you're actually making progress because you're pushing really hard with your feet, but you're barely going anywhere, right? You see someone floating on their back, like passing you. You're like, this doesn't seem right. Um, but we, one of those were, was there and, you know, we, we did that futile thing and we went out in the middle of the, the little lake and I said, Sadie, look up at that mountain. And she looks up and I'm like, what do you think of that? She says, it's beautiful. And that was it. We didn't have to be like, yeah, but what do you mean by beautiful? Like talk about the intricacies of that. And I'm like, well, look at all those shades of green. She's like, those shades of green are so beautiful, dad. I said, Yeah. And then we looked at the waves, and I'm like, well, look at the wave that the pattern is. She's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, she just kept saying, this is so beautiful. It's like she was caught up in it. And then I flipped it on her because I'm a pastor, and that's what I do, right? So I'm like, well, who made these mountains? And she's like, well, Jesus did. And I'm like, well, who, who made this water? Well, Jesus did. And we saw little bubbles come up. I'm like, what do you think the bubbles are from? And she's like, I bet it's a turtle. I'm like, I don't know if it's a turtle or not, but like, we were talking about turtles and their shapes, and she's like, Daddy, turtles are so beautiful. Right? She almost cried about turtles. And, and I said, if, if we see this beauty and we're like captured by it, how beautiful is the one who actually thought up all this? And then we just started talking about Jesus for a while. And we talked about how beautiful he is. That Jesus wants to catch us in who he is. He wants to capture us by how incredible he is. It takes a real relationship. And he wanted this with these, with these men. He didn't want them to just, yeah, you just go out and preach and you just go cast out demons, do all that. But I want you to be with me. Spend time with me. Take company with me. The message version, which is a paraphrase, talks about Jesus saying, come take company with me. Move in with me. Right? Like, move into my house. I want you. I want you with me. Jesus had such close relationships with, with his followers that he came up with nicknames for them. Cephas, that, that wasn't a normal, ordinary name. That was something that Jesus came up with, right? So you see like the humanity of Jesus come through, the creativity of Jesus coming through, even in the way that he looked at, at his friends. And in the same way that he looks at his friends and comes up with nicknames for them, I wonder what his nicknames are for you. 
Have you ever thought that Jesus might have a nickname for you? And I'm not trying to like do this like super special snowflake participation trophy thing in this moment. But the reality is, is that Jesus does think pretty highly of you. And it's not based on what you do. Right? It actually, he, he calls uh, James and, and John brothers, he calls them the sons of thunder. And it's probably kind of playing on a bad thing about their personality. Right? But he gives them this nickname. That Jesus wants close, proximate, proximate, yeah, there's the word. Search for words sometimes. They're hard Sunday morning. But he wants this close relationship with you. And, and sometimes we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to just sit and be with him. Because we're so productive, aren't we? We want to get into defining beauty and like, well, what shades of green are they? And was that actually a turtle? Let's explore, Right? And we have such a hard time just sitting with him knowing that I am loved by Jesus. And I'm loved so much that he probably has a nickname for me. And it actually says in scripture that he's going to write your name, a new name that you don't even know about on this rock. And that might be your nickname that he's been calling you entire life. Just surmising, I don't know. But Jesus actually cares about his people. And he doesn't care for you so he can just use you to do his thing. He really cares about you. You have the infinite God of the universe who has a lot of stuff to manage and he cares about what you're going to eat for lunch today. He cares about where you're going to go to school. He cares uh, about providing everything that you're going to need. He cares about you. And then he sends them to preach, to cast out demons, and to heal. And basically he says, Everything you've seen me doing, I want you to do that. Jesus has real apprentices. I think we miss that in the Western church, maybe in the church as a whole, that we think right information is going to equal disciples. And that's just not true, is it? That's like me saying, Nehemiah and Malachi are, are here. It's like me saying to Nehemiah and Malachi, like, here's a list of things you need to learn by the time you grow up and you'll be fine. And then just never interacting with them again. Right? Never showing them how to do anything, never showing them what they're supposed to do or helping them understand finances or how to build. I don't really know how to build, but anyway, other things I know how to do. Right? It's not just a list of things, it's apprenticing. Being a parent is like having apprentices and trying for, to help them be more like you are. And Jesus is, wants for, for his followers to be more and more like him and do the things that he has been doing. And the way that Jesus's ministry worked is that he would send his disciples two by two into the places he was going to go. And they were like the marketing campaign. And he would say, okay, I want you to go and visit this town because I'm going to come there soon. And I'm giving you all my authority to cast out demons, to heal people, and to preach. And don't preach saying, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so this. Say, but I say to you this. Jesus says to you this. Like, preach out of the authority that I'm giving to you. And when you get to that town, they're going to say, nothing like this has ever come before. Who are you? And they're like, oh, we're nobodies. Wait till the one who's coming actually gets here. It's like if you see a, a marketing campaign for, well, all those shoes, right? Okay. If you see a marketing campaign for shoes and you're like, whoa, this is so great. It's like, yeah, but wait till the product actually gets there, right? Wait till you actually get to enjoy that thing. It's not about the advertising. It's about you actually enjoying the one the advertising points 
too. And they were sent with authority. And we miss that. But Jesus, as he was leaving, right, end of, end of the story, after he resurrects, as he was leaving, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I send you. I send you in that authority. If you woke up this morning thinking, my goodness, all authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus's and Jesus is with me and his spirit dwells in me, what do you begin to expect? Well, maybe I'll have a good day that's blessed, like uh, too low, right? Maybe someone might get healed today. Yeah, okay, we're getting closer. Maybe revival would break out in our city like, oh, okay, now we're starting to get there. Because so often our, I think it's out of disappointment. We don't want to be disappointed with our views of things or what we hope for. And so we, we set our expectations really low. Well, maybe we'd see like two people baptized this year. And it's like, you know, so we're not disappointed. And if something happens, we're ready with an excuse as to why that didn't happen. But if we said, man, wouldn't it be great to see 2,000 people become followers of Jesus this year? It's like, ah, oh, buddy, come on. It's like, well, all authority in heaven and on earth is, is here with us, dwelling in us through his spirit. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't that happen? And even that is too small because that's, that's a portion of a neighborhood in our city. It's like if we begin to wake up in the morning and move throughout our day knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth is with us, then what, what, what do we begin to expect? We begin to expect greater things to happen. And it doesn't have to just be through these adults who know it all. Because remember, these guys are probably teenagers. Jesus looks for the people who says, no, 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 they couldn't do that. He's like, yeah, I'll take them. I'll take that group and I'll show you my power made perfect through them because it's my authority. You see, Jesus was going to take these men and he was going to change the world. Do you, do you get that? He was going to take these very ordinary teenagers and he was going to change the world through them. Acts 17, uh, verse 6, is, is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Let me, let me, hear, let me hear you. Let me share it with you. Acts 17, 6. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, here it is, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down, everything is different through these people. And it's not because of their education or their background. It's because of the one who is living inside of them. You see, here's, here's the story. That Jesus loves his friends so much that he laid his life down for them. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. And that's what Jesus does for you and for me. He lays his life down. He dies on a cross. And it's not just so we can have a nice piece of jewelry or something on the top of our mountain that we're not quite sure what it means. But Jesus dies on the cross for our rebellion against him. And he forgives our rebellion against him on that cross. He was our substitute. He stepped in and paid our debt. Uh, when I uh, became a, a new, or when I was a new Christian, 22, 23, something like that, uh, I moved in with my grandparents. There's a lot of reasons why, but it doesn't matter. Moved in with my grandparents, and my grandpa was asking me a lot of questions, and, uh, and he asked me about my debt. And I'm like, oh yeah, I have this debt, but that's okay, I'm going to work really hard and pay it off. It was about $22,000. And uh, he said, oh, I'll, I'll pay for it. 
I'm like, oh no, grandpa, like you don't need to pay for it. Like I've learned my lesson about credit card debt. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And he's like, nope, I'm just going to pay for it. My grandfather stepped in to my place of debt and paid it all off. And he said, the only thing I want you to do is never have a balance on your credit card again. And it's like, okay, great. But he steps in, absorbs my debt so that I'm free. Like that day, all the checks were written and I was debt free. Amazing. Because he stepped in. Same thing happens on the cross. You have a debt that you can't pay on your own. Jesus steps in and says, I'll take it. I'll absorb it all. I can pay for it. I'm perfect. I will take it. And not only will I take it, but I will give you what I've earned. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you a place in, in, in my father's house. I, I'll give you access to God. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you freedom. No more slavery. Like, I'll give all this to you. It's all yours. Right? Jesus would, would lay his life down and then he would take his life back up in his resurrection to show that he has real authority. Not just spoken authority, but real authority over sin, Satan, death, and hell and authority over what's coming. And he sends his spirit into these men. And there are about 120 of them at this point who are following him. He sends his spirit into these 120 people and the spirit changed the world through them, through nobodies. We don't, we don't know most of the people that were part of that 120. We know a few, but we don't know most of them. We don't know most of the people who are, who are links in the chain to make it to you being here today. That this, this sending out of these apostles worked. How do we know it? Because you're here. It hasn't stopped. It's kept going. People have kept sharing in the same spirit that was at work in those men is at work in us today. But let me end with this. The kingdom of God, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Like, I'm here. I'm here. All access to God, everything you want is here in me. The kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you are going to be supremely inconvenienced. You just need to know that. Not everything is going to happen at, oh, neat, I have a break at this time, and this is perfectly where this is going to work out. No, no, no. It's like in the middle of the important thing you were trying to get done, something happens where you're actually supposed to be involved in that thing. Look at what happens with Jesus um, in verse 20 of Mark 3. Then he went home, and the crowd, what happened? Justin Bieber's situation all over again. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Forced fasting right? This is, this is happening in Jesus' life. It's not that he's choosing to fast. He has to fast. And then in verse 21, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. You see, if we're part of the kingdom of God and we're ministering uh, to people in ways where we're actually, it seems like we're doing disservice to ourselves, um, Maybe people are really going to care about you and be like, no, 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 let me bring you food. But that wasn't what, that wasn't what Jesus' family was doing. It wasn't like a good Italian mom who was like bringing him heaps of spaghetti or something. It was that you're, you're an embarrassment to the family. Right, imagine you're healing people, you're preaching, you're casting out demons. People keep coming around and like mom shows up with, with the family. It's like, oh, this is kind of an embarrassment to us. You're... you're you're bringing dishonor to the family name in a sense. Like this is kind of crazy. This wasn't what we envisioned at all. But rather than just being like, oh, 
you're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't want to embarrass you. Like, let me give this up. Jesus embraces his calling in this moment. But he says, the Father is not embarrassed by me. The Father sent me to do this thing. And Jesus only cared about what the Father wanted him to be doing. His Father wasn't embarrassed by him, and his Father isn't embarrassed by you. If you're in Christ, the Father is not embarrassed by you. And in fact, this happens in, in my house often, like when the kids wake up in the morning, the first one out of the door usually gets like, they're just running at me, and so they get the first, the first hug. And in a sense, not, not really, but in a sense, that one who gets the first hug seems like they're the most loved, special child. In, in a sense, similar to that, when, when we run to God and he embraces us, and he, he says, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by you. Yeah, but, yeah, but dad, you, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the thoughts I'm having. You don't know the things I'm struggling with. He's like, no, I actually do. I know all that. And I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to call you my son or my daughter. I love you. And, and I, I want to change you. And I want to change you so much so that, that you would be involved in my plan to help reach Montreal so that more people would be able to be part of my family. Let me end with, with this, this quick illustration. Imagine that in our, in our city, there, there were crowds of orphans. Right? We don't have that, do we? So we have to think about somewhere like Haiti. Um, if you've been to Haiti, I, I, I've never been to Haiti, but lots of friends have gone there, and they've worked with orphanages, like massive orphanages. Lots and lots and lots of orphans in Haiti. So let's just say we go to Haiti, a crowd of orphans meet you. Um, one of the things that happens there is that a lot of them can't afford food, and so they make mud pies. You know what a mud pie is? Like it's just sand, a little bit of water, and sometimes some salt, um, maybe sometimes butter, and then they just set it out in the sun, and they let the sun bake it, and they feed it to the kids so at least the kids don't die hungry. They die with full bellies, but they don't actually feel the hunger. But there's no nutrients in those things. And so that's a reality for so many in Haiti. Lots of orphans that are dying with full bellies, but yet no nutrients, not actually being satisfied. They look alive, but they don't have any hope. So then imagine that a man flies into Haiti and he says, I want to adopt all the kids. All the kids who will come to me, I will adopt them. Anyone who will receive it. But the demand when he shows up is so overwhelming. Right, he can't, he can't even like get off his plane, basically. Right? All the kids are just like, we want to be adopted, we want to be adopted, we want to be adopted. And then other kids further out in the island, they don't really understand what's going on and they don't have the means to get to him. So they're like, well, I guess I can't be adopted because I can't get to him. And so what he does is he actually equips his kids that he has, has adopted already and he sends them out to the end of the island so that all orphans everywhere who are looking to have their bellies full of something that will bring them true value, meaning, and purpose, they can actually find. And this is exactly what God has done, that God sent his son for you, for me. And now he sends his sons and daughters into the island of Montreal, around the island of Montreal, to be able to care for those who are orphans. They don't look like orphans, do they? They don't, they don't speak like they're orphans. It seems like they're really full and content. But the more that you press in, the more you find, oh, there's a lot of emptiness there. There's a lot of mud pies in there. 
because they just don't want to die hungry. And so there are two things. One is I would love for you to open your heart to understand how much Jesus really loves his people, specifically you. Because we don't meditate on that enough, that you are beloved, that you are cared for, that he's not embarrassed by you, and that you would experience the love that the Father has for you in Christ, that you would, you would viscerally feel that this morning, that that would move in you that you would say something quietly in your mask, you know, whatever, but like, I can't believe that you would love me so much. It begins there, that your heart gets transformed by the gospel there. But then that you would open your eyes. That you would open your eyes in this city and that you would begin to see the needs. Because the needs are overwhelming, aren't they? Once you actually begin to see the needs, they're overwhelming that we live in a city of orphans. But here's the thing, you've been sent to the city intentionally. So why don't we go? Why don't we go with open eyes and open hearts? Well, here are a few reasons. One, we forget. It's all forgetfulness. One is we forget that we're loved and cared for. We don't go because we forget that we're loved and cared for. We're out in the city reaching for things that we hope will give us life when instead as followers of Jesus, we have everything we need in him. So we can go and give, not grabby, but giving. Why don't we go, we forget how good he is. Why don't we go, we forget that his authority is ours. Why don't we go, because we forget that he can bring the dead to life. Why don't we go, because we forget that he can heal. We forget that nothing is impossible with him. We forget that he spent so much time with people who didn't love God. We want to be productive with our time, but Jesus seems to be liberally wasting his time with people that don't yet love him and probably never did. He didn't count that as being unproductive. We forget that we're surrounded by orphans desiring adoption, but just don't know who the right one is that they need to be adopted by. And we forget that we are free because we really belong to a father with endless love. And so God wants to help you remember. If you read the New Testament, there's lots of remember. Do you remember? Like remember Christ crucified. God wants to help you remember who he is. But Jesus has made sure people in Montreal, listen to this. Jesus has made sure that people in Montreal can always get to him. How? Through you. Through us. That the church is put here to be a light. Not a really like dim light, but a bright light. Showing and, and allowing for people to see the works of God on display through his people. So a few questions for us. And these are for us specifically. Who needs to hear about him? Who, who are the orphans in your neighborhood that, that need to hear about this, this great father that wants to adopt? Put, put faces and names in your mind. Don't just, don't just skirt over. Who in your household needs to hear this? Who needs healing? Who do you need to be praying for that God would would work through us and his authority to, to heal someone. And who needs spirits cast out? Let's begin to take his authority seriously. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Now go and make disciples. You see, it's his resurrection and spirit in us that will turn the world upside down.
what types of prayer should we be praying? Well, I know I said I end with this, but I say that a lot. Um, but I really will end with this. So yesterday I turned 40. I know that I don't look a day over 25, and I don't feel like I'm a day over 25. Um, but I hit 30 plus 10, as a friend would say. Uh, and um, I was running yesterday morning, and I'm like, Jesus, what, would I, what, what should I ask you for? Right? I know that you're a gift giver. What do, what do I want to ask you for? And there were two things. And it all had to do with his authority. And the first one was, would you start 20 years of revival in the city and in my heart right now, yesterday morning? And it's like my heart was exploding with joy. Right? And I'm like, would you cause that to explode in our city? Would we see this unprecedented 20 years of absolute revival and movement and people turning to Jesus and seeing significant things in our city changed because of him. The second thing, though, is that would you cause for a hundred generations of Berniers to be followers of you? Not, not missing one of them. Would you rescue every single one of them? A hundred generations is a long time. That's as far as I could think in the future. So I had to submit that. But what type of prayers would we pray if we believe that Jesus actually has all authority in heaven and on earth? So I'll, we'll, we'll get some time to process this together. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you do have all authority. And it's worth repeating over and over and over that all authority is yours and you've given it to us. And you are a good God who only does what is good, right, and true. And we can, we can worship you. We can serve you. We can uh, love you because you first loved us and you made it possible that there would be a way for us to get to you. pray for, for those who are here who don't yet know you, that they would turn to you this morning, that they would think about that cross and that they would think, ah, oh, that was for me. That was so that my debt could be removed and that I could be brought into the family of God. We pray for those of us who are here that think that you were just embarrassed by us and that you would scrub that from our hearts this morning. I want to pray for those of us who are here who have been listening to um, unclean spirits speak over us lies that this morning those lies would be taken captive and that they would be destroyed by you and jesus that you would help take those 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 faces and those names of people that you you have sent us to already and would you help us to understand how we're supposed to do this as we go so we love you and and we need you for everything amen